know I've uh, asked this question already a number of times in this series, but uh, I want to ask it one last time. When you think of Christmas, what comes to mind? What images pop into your head? Maybe it's this. Look at this picture here. Is this what y'all's house looks like, Christmas? It's probably what you had in mind, right, when you began decorating? Yeah, Christmas tree, roaring fire, maybe not with 60-degree weather in East Texas. But, uh, yeah, that's what comes to mind. What about this picture here? It's kind of hard to avoid this guy this time of year. Uh, how about this? Next picture. I'm sure this is definitely what all of our tables are going to look like at Christmas with, uh, with family, but that's what we have in mind. And also this here, presents under the tree. Some of you more spiritual folks are thinking about this. A baby born in Bethlehem, maybe this here. Angels appearing to shepherds on a hillside, and maybe even this here, the, the wise men on their way to see King Jesus. But let me ask you this. How many of you, when you think about Christmas this time of year, you think about this image here? Or how about this here? Or even this? Some of you are probably thinking, Grandma, I got a holiday that comes to mind for these images, but Christmas is, is not it. I'm thinking of Easter here, but as we have said time and time again in this series and year after year around Christmas, when you think about Christmas, folks, the gospel should come to mind. The cross should be on our mind. The Christmas story is a story about a king coming to save. A king coming to live for us and die for us to rise again and ascend so that we could be made right with God through faith in him. It's a story of the gospel. Christmas is about the gospel. It is a gospel-saturated message. We have seen that already and we are going to see that again Today, So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're continuing through the Gospel of Luke in a series we are calling the Savior of the World. Jesus, the Savior of the World, and we are still in the first section of the book. In Luke chapters 1 and 2, we are looking at Jesus' birth. And when we come back after the new year, we're going to look at his early life. This morning, we find ourselves once again in a familiar passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that many of us have read, are reading, will read this time of year. Actually, Brett Brewer read it for us in our small group on, on Wednesday night. Luke 2, verses 8 through 20, the story of the shepherds and the angels. And like I said last week, though I'm sure many of you have read this story through so many times you've lost count. I, I pray that we can look at this story afresh this morning. And I want you to see this morning as we, we look at this story, that, that this story of the shepherds and the angels, this familiar story that we tell around Christmas, is as gospel-centered, as gospel-saturated a message as you're going to find in your Bible. There are three things here I want you to see that we learn from this passage about the gospel. 
First, we learn that sinners are recipients of the gospel. Sinners are recipients of the gospel. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. I imagine so. So according to these verses here, we see some of the first recipients of this gospel message were these shepherds here. So we learn here that when we're asking the question, who benefits from Christ coming to earth, it's sinners like you and me. Some of you, upon reading this, you're like, how did you get that from this verse? You're thinking, the, the only people I see mentioned here is this good, godly group of shepherds. It's the way we normally think when we think about shepherds, don't we? I mean, shepherds are often shown in a positive light throughout the Old Testament. You have the shepherd motif that's used, often applied to God. And you have some of God's choice men in the Old Testament. They were shepherds. And when we look at this story here, we see shepherds shown in a positive light because you have God's favor shown to them. You have angels appearing to them. You have them going and worshiping the Christ child and going out and making that message known. We also see in the ministry of Jesus that Jesus referred to himself as a shepherd. John 10, 14, he says, I am the good Shepherd. So shepherds are often shown in a favorable light in the scripture, but that was not the view of those who lived in the first century. Truth is, shepherds didn't have a good reputation at all during this time in the first century. They were not held in high esteem. They were, in fact, it was the opposite. They were despised. They were viewed as being unclean. They were viewed as liars and thieves because many of them were. Many of them were guilty of stealing other sheep from other folds. Their reputation was so bad that their testimony was not even permissible in a court of law. Also, because, and that's pretty bad, isn't it? But because they, they came in contact on a regular basis with, with injured and dead animals, many in the Jewish community viewed them as being ceremonially unclean. And also because they were all often out in the fields day and night watching the sheep, they were disconnected from temple worship. They were disconnected from the worship of God's people, so they were viewed as being set apart and, and they were viewed as being unclean and really, to put it bluntly, wicked, low-life scum. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? Yet though that's the case, notice that God sends His angels to them. He makes this great birth announcement of his son to these sinful shepherds. He has his gospel message proclaimed from on high by his holy angels to a group of low-down, dirty, wicked sinners. You would think you would pick the temple in Jerusalem, right? In front of all the who's who, the religious leaders. But instead, he sends them to these shepherds. And Luke 
by mentioning this story here, I believe is revealing something very important to us about God and his gospel. Luke shows us here with this story that God has sent his son to save sinners. That's the reason Christ came. And this truth is repeated over and over and over again throughout God's word. Jesus came for sinners like these shepherds. Jesus came for sinners like you and me. Jesus even said that of himself, did he not? Recorded in three or four gospel accounts, he said he came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus says, I've come for those who know they need me. I've come for for those who think they're far past saving. I've come for people who know they're fallen. I've come for people who who understand that they're sinners in need of salvation. I've come for people like these shepherds whom many of you despise. I've come for the dirty and the sinful, for those that you consider to be low down and wicked. Jesus came for sinners. Sinners are the recipients of of his gospel. Now, be honest with me for just a minute. When you think of Christmas time, is that what comes to mind normally? Though we can't help but think about Christmas trees and the big guy in the red suit and presents under the tree. How many of you, when you think about Christmas, you think about the fact that you are a sinner in need of salvation? What we are. And Christmas is a reminder of that. Christmas should remind us that salvation is needed and that it has been provided for sinners like you and me in the person and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we learn in this passage about the gospel. Sinners are the recipient of the gospel. Second thing we learn is that Christ is the message of the gospel. Look at verses 10 through 14 of Luke 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Can you imagine the sight? And saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In this passage, the angels preach Christ on this hillside. It's amazing when you think about it, when Christ died, day turned to night. Day turned dark, right? When Christ enters into the world, it's dark and angels light up the night sky with this announcement. The light of the world has come. He's come. They preach Christ on this hillside to a group of shepherds. In verse 10, one of the angels makes the announcement that he is bringing the gospel to them. That word gospel means good news. In verse 10, he says, I bring you good news. And then he goes on to explain the good news by making the greatest birth announcement that has ever been made. He shows that at the center of this message, at the center of this good news of hope and peace and joy is this baby who's been born 
in the city of David. Let's take a few minutes just to break this passage down because there are a lot of key truths that we learn about Christ and his gospel from this angelic birth announcement. Notice first that the angels explain that this child, Jesus, is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. Folks, we have said already in this series, Jesus did not just burst onto the scene unexpectedly. The Jewish people were anticipating a Messiah to come. And and that's what the angels announce in this passage. Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, underlined city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Where is the city of David? Bethlehem, right? It's not by accident that they end up there. And the angel is not just sort of giving a statement of fact and just glossing over this. By including this detail, God is announcing through this angel that this child born in Bethlehem is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. The promise he made through Micah in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 where he gives the birthplace of the Messiah. He is is telling These shepherds, that the promised one has come. The one who is going to sit on David's throne forever. He's making the point that this child born in the city of David is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ, God's forever king. He has left the riches of heaven. He has come down to us, become like us in every way so that he can live for us, go to the cross for us, die for us, and be raised for us in order to redeem us. He is the promised Messiah. Notice also, we learn here that he is truly God. The angels say at the end of verse 11 that this child born in Bethlehem is the Lord. We also are going to learn here in a moment that shepherds bow down and worship. They praise God. They worship the Lord Jesus. Worship is reserved for one. And that is God. God the Son. We call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is truly God. And this is significant. This truth that Jesus is God is at the heart of the gospel. Reject any message that challenges that. Because this is at the heart of what we believe as Christians. Only a righteous, holy, and infinite God has the power to take away sins past, present, and future forever. Jesus is God, truly God. He also announces that he's truly man. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Notice here that This Savior, who is the promised Messiah, who is truly God, is also truly man. In in verse 12, we learn that he is identified with us in every way to the extent of becoming a little baby for us. As we said last week, Christ has taken an immeasurable step down for us by becoming one of us. And verse 12 really captures the great lengths that, that God the Son has gone through to save sinners. Look at how far he has condescended down to us. He has become a helpless child. Why? Why did he do this? Well, the angels tell us, verses 13 and 14, 
Look at it. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In, in verse 14, we learn that Jesus became one of us so that through him we could be at peace with God. He came to make peace between God and man. Though we said earlier that, that Jesus had to be truly God to pay for our sins, past, present, and future forever in a complete and infinite way. We also learn here and elsewhere that he also had to be truly man to accomplish this work. See, Scripture is clear that we are not right with God. We are at odds with him. And we know this deep down. We know this about ourselves and about others. Things are not right. We long for better days. God tells us what's wrong, and he tells us about those better days to come. He tells us our problem is we're sinners. God has created us to live in right relationship with him, and we have gone against him. We have rejected his rule and reign and chosen to go at life on our own. We have set ourselves against him. He has set himself against us. We are his enemies because of sin. Scripture is also clear that there is nothing we can do to be made right with him. We need another representative because we all sin. We all fall short. We need a perfect representative. We need someone who can live on our behalf and, and make it right between us and God to bring peace. That's what Christ came to do. That's what he has done for us. He lived his life in perfect obedience to God, opposite of us. In all the ways we failed, he succeeded. He fulfilled all righteousness for us. And not only that, he laid his life down, dying the death. We deserve to die as our substitute and perfect sacrifice so that we can be forgiven of sin and restored to God. Through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we, through faith alone, in him alone, can move from being at odds with God to being at peace with him. We can move from being his enemies, condemned, unclean, to being his children, forgiven and beloved. Good news. That's what God provided for us in Christ. That's what Christ provided for us by emptying himself and taking on flesh and dwelling among us and laying his life down for us. That's what the angels announce here in verse 14. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's good news. That is good news that the angels bring to the shepherds. That's what makes this Christmas story so wonderful. That's why we should be joyful this time of year when we think on this wonderful word should bring joy to our hearts should result in us doing what the shepherds and what Mary are going to do next one more thing here we learn about the gospel from the Christmas story we learn not only are sinners the recipients of the gospel Christ is the message of the gospel, but we learn that worship is the proper response to the gospel. It always is. Worship 
directed toward God for who he is and what he's done for us in Christ, always the right response. What we've been doing in here this morning, the right response to God and his gospel. What we do in here Sunday after Sunday, the right response always. What you're to be doing in your private time, worshiping in private, studying God's word and praising him and proclaiming his his message to others, that's always the right response. Worship is the proper response to the gospel. Look at verses 15 through 20 of Luke 2. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So when, when the angels left the shepherds, the shepherds decided to go over to Bethlehem to check this thing out for themselves. And when they do, they find out that it's exactly the way the angels described it. They find Mary and Joseph and saw the Christ child lying in a manger. And then notice in verses 18 through 20, we see three responses to this wonderful work that God has done. That gives us insight into how we are to worship God. First, notice that Mary pondered these things. Mary pondered this work. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The word ponder is the Greek word symbolusa. And it means to think long and hard, to deeply consider the implications of something. That's what Mary is doing. She is deeply considering the implications of the fact that her son is the Messiah. We have a popular song sung this time of year. Mary, did you know? Guess what? Newsflash. She knew. Read Mary's song. She knew. The angel told her. And another angel told her husband. And then the shepherds come and they tell her. And then later we're going to learn about Simeon and Anna. They tell her. She knew. She's thinking deeply on these things. And notice, we're, we're told that as she does, as she thinks about this wonderful gift that had been given her and ultimately the world and God sending his son, she treasured them in her heart. Worship. The shepherds responded in praise and proclamation. So we got ponder, praise, proclamation. I'm sounding like a preacher. Three Ps. Notice the shepherds praised God for this work. They praised him for the wonderful gift of his son. We're told in, in verse 20, look down at verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Always the right response. 
When we, when we focus in on who God is and the great work that He has done in saving us, the right response is to praise His holy name. Praise Him for His gospel. Have you spent time this Christmas praising God for His gospel? For sending His Son, Jesus? If not, you got some work to do this afternoon. Spend time praising Him for the work that He has done. Focus on that work. Study that work from his word and then respond by praising him for it. Tell him how great he is for this great work of salvation. The shepherds also proclaimed God's work to others. Look at verses 17 and 18. Look back up in 17 and 18. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Can you imagine they are hearing this message from shepherds? God works in unique ways, right? When it's time to proclaim his message, he sends angels to shepherds. Those whose, whose testimony would not even be valid in a court of law. If you were going to conjure up a a, a mythical story about the birth of God in, in Bethlehem, you wouldn't use shepherds as witnesses in this day. You would say he appeared in the temple and all the religious leaders saw it. But that's not the way it went down. This happened in this way. This is a historical account of the way in which God worked. Very, very unique. And, and remember when uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, who were some of the first witnesses of the resurrection? Women, whose testimony was not valid at that time. God works in unique ways. We wouldn't have written it up in that way. Great description here in this passage of what worship is. You have Mary pondering, the disciples praising and proclaiming. One of my favorite definitions of worship is, is uh, found in Donald Whitney's book, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, which we have in our bookstore, by the way. He defines worship in this way. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. Write that down. That's worship right there. Focusing on and responding to God. That's what worship is. And that's what we have taking place here. For worship to take place, we must first think on the deep truths of the Christian faith. We must, we must think deeply on who God is and the work that He has done. And where do we get that information from? His Word. We got to spend time in His Word. If you want to worship in a way that brings glory and honor to God, you got to camp out in here. You got to focus on who God is and the great work that He has done in, in saving us. And it, but it doesn't stop there. What you read here demands a response. As we study on who God is and the great work that He's done, the only proper response is to praise Him for it and to proclaim it, to make it known. Worship involves focus and response. Pondering, but also praising and proclaiming. That was the response of Mary and the shepherds to the gospel message in Luke chapter 2. Is this how you're spending your Christmas? Doing this work. When you think of Christmas, 
Do you think about the God of mercy who sent his son to save? Do you think about Emmanuel, God with us? Do you think about the fact that that God the Son took on flesh, became one of us, truly God, truly man, to live the perfect life for us and to die in our place in order to save us? Are you thinking on those things when you think about Christmas this time of year? And does that move you to praise him and to make his gospel message known? Are you spending your Christmas season sharing God's wonderful message of salvation? Well, that's the application here. The angels are making it known. The shepherds are making it known. What about you? What about you? Are you making this message known? You're going to be challenged this week in your study guide to make this message known. Don't Pass up on your study guide this week. Commit to do it. There's some great challenges to be made for you on what you should be doing in light of what we've learned here today with friends and family. Believers, when we talk about these events that took place over 2,000 years ago in this little town in Bethlehem, our conversation should turn quickly to the cross because that's the reason Christ Came. He came down to us. He came, became one of us in order to save us. That's the Christmas message. Maybe you're here this morning and you came in this morning with a, with a different idea altogether about what this Christmas message is about. But for the first time in your life, you feel as if you really have a good grasp on the true message of Christmas, this gospel message. Maybe God has been doing a work in your heart and life this very morning, and you understand for the first time why Christ left the riches of heaven and became one of us. Maybe you realize for the first time today that it was because of your sin that Christ came to earth. It was because of your wickedness that he went to the cross. And it was because of God's great love for you that he sent his son to accomplish this work of salvation so that you might be forgiven and made right with God. If this is you this morning, God's doing this work in your heart and life. You've come to this realization. I urge you today, to respond. Respond by giving your life up and over to Him. Turn from your sin. Make Christ your Lord today and be saved. Let's pray together.